When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning, Birdland. Let's talk some Orioles. My name is Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles on Camden Chat for more than 10 years now. Way back when I had a podcast, I'm back for the 2023 season. Whether you're new or old, I'm glad to have you here with me today. Let's get right back. Let's get right down to business. The Orioles are now one and two on April the 3rd, 2023, after losing two of their first three games of the season in Boston. They're two games back in the American League East of the Tampa Bay Rays. They're tied for fourth and also last place. The Toronto Blue Jays are one and two in addition to the Orioles. Uh, You know, guys, it wasn't a very good season opening series. I saw this fact from a Red Sox beat writer, Ian Brown, no relation to me that I know of that uh, the Orioles are now, well, excuse me, the Red Sox are just the third team since 1901 to score nine plus runs in each of their first three games. So the Orioles, much like the 2018 through 2021 Orioles, are setting a bad kind of history, not the kind of season start anybody really was hoping that the Orioles would get off to. Of course, with a little bit better luck, I mean, really just average luck, the Orioles would have a two and one start uh, to the season. It only would have taken Ryan McKenna catching the third out on Saturday night for the Orioles to be two and one. Then we could maybe be a little angsty about the problems with the pitching and the defense, but it wouldn't be that bad. But that's not what happened. Instead, it's more like, you know what, with a little bit worse luck, the Orioles could instead be 0 and 3. So it's a good thing, I guess, they at least managed to win one game. The outfield defense, it was really a problem through the entire series, for both of the first two games, every member of the starting outfield in that game had some kind of play that, to me, felt like should have been made, should have been made, and they didn't. And each one of those cost the Orioles at least one run. There were bad routes, there were mistimed jumps, there was starting back when you should have started in. Of course, there was the Ryan McKenna drop on the pop fly that nobody ever drops. If an Orioles batter hits it, you're always hoping that the other team somehow screws up the most basic play. And that's exactly what happened. It should have been the third out in the ninth inning. Uh, It should have ended the game on Saturday night as an Orioles victory. Instead, it was dropped. The next batter hit a walk-off home run. It's really not great. There was also a uh, miscommunication between left fielder Taryn Vavra and Gunnar Henderson in the Sunday afternoon game that also cost the Orioles. Uh, That ended up being charged as an error to Henderson because it did bounce off of his glove. But it's just, there's, there's, there was weird stuff in the air. I don't know what it is going on. 
I really, I hope they get it fixed quickly. Uh, we talked about this on Friday's podcast because, of course, even though the Orioles won that first game, there was outfield problems there. So there's really nothing we could do except hope it gets better because although there are players you can look at and think, okay, you know what, if somebody gets hurt or stumbles early in the season in pretty short order, they can be replaced by somebody in the minors. I don't really think we're looking at like, you know, May the 1st uh, replacement with like Colton Kowser coming up or something like that. If you're like, okay, something has to happen with Anthony Santander or Austin Hayes or Cedric Mullins or whatever. Uh, I just don't think that's going to happen. So these guys, for better or worse, uh, they are the 2023 Orioles outfield, at least for most of the season, I think. And so I, I don't think the Orioles are going to give up on them uh, based on one weekend worth of bad defense, certainly. So uh, as as Kevin Brown said on the Masson broadcast on Sunday afternoon, you just have to hope this thing gets better. And really, you know, it's it's kind of tough to evaluate as mu- how much of the problem was the Orioles pitching staff, even as they gave up nine or more runs in their first three games, because it, it cost them so many lost outs, so many extra pitches, so many runs that are charged against those pitchers uh, earned run counts, because except for the Vavra Henderson issue uh, on Sunday afternoon and Ryan McKenna's drop that bounced off the heel of his glove on Saturday night, the misplays in the outfield don't actually count as errors. That's just the way that both the official rules and unofficial conventions of scoring decisions get made. If you have an outfielder that quote-unquote should have made a play, you're not usually going to get him to be charged with an error unless he managed to get his glove on it and then dropped it. So when Austin Hayes runs at the wrong angle to get to a ball that bounces into the seats in right field at Fenway Park, that does not get charged as an error. When Cedric Mullins jumps before he needs to jump because he still had plenty of room to to get to the outfield fence, and that ends up getting a guy on as a triple, which happened both Friday and Saturday, that's not an error. If a ball goes over Santander's head in left field for no reason, that's not an error. If a ball falls in in front of Santander for no reason, that's also not an error. So, you know, it's just like the starting pitchers, well, they've yet to record an out in the sixth inning. That's definitely a problem. But with really average outfield defense, I think Kyle Gibson, for instance, could have had six shutout innings. And if looking at Cole Irvin, who started on Sunday afternoon, he allowed eight hits, but six of these eight hits had an exit velocity of 85 miles per hour or less. So that's a whole lot of soft contact. And it was a lot of bloopers. It was a couple of infield plays that maybe could have been made that were not made. And so Irvin ended up getting charged with a lot of runs, maybe more than he quote unquote deserved. All we can really do for all of these guys is again, hope that they start doing better in the subsequent games. The result of all those short uh, outings by starting pitchers is that every Orioles reliever who started the season on the roster ended up pitching over the course of the three game series. And they had their problems too, because of the eight guys who pitched, there's only two of them who have yet to allow a run. That's uh, that's Danny Kulam, now the, uh, the, the, the new addition from right at the end of spring training, the lefty, and also Logan Gillespie. Everyone else who got into a game 
gave up some kind of run. And you know what? That sucks. So that's that's the story of how the Orioles gave up nine or more runs in each of their first three games. And it's it's just it hurts. It well, yes, it hurts because these games, you know, they should one of them at least was very winnable. And we know from last season that it's quite possible you could get to the end of the season and then only a handful of games are haunting you at the end of the year. And I guess at this point, what we have to hope for is that the Orioles are in a position where they're having heartburn over the month of September because of that dropped uh, pop-up that cost them the game on Saturday night, that that one game does matter, and that they're not just out of the race entirely because it turns out they're actually worse than any Orioles fan wanted to believe they were. Of course, all the computers, all the Vegas, whatever, uh, had the over-under at 76.5 wins. So, you know, if the Orioles are on a 77-win pace for most of the year, they're really not going to be in the playoff race. And that's really all that's going to be said about that. So, I, I you know, we, we have to hope that it matters that they lost that game on Saturday and that they are able to start playing better and then, uh, you know, not not just be more like the Orioles of 2018 to 2021, who were constantly setting bad history. So we we started on Friday a little uh, a little ongoing check in on who it was the quote unquote most clutch in a given game, and that's going to be using the win probability added stat, which calculates how much a particular play helps the Orioles' chances of winning or how much a particular play hurts their chances of winning. You add up those numbers for every player's plate appearance or every batter or pitcher faces over the course of the A game, and the result, the uh, the guy with the highest percentage, we can call him the most clutch, and the guy with the lowest percentage, well, he was the GOAT, he was the least clutch. So in Sunday afternoon's loss, the Oriole, who did the single most in one play, that was actually Adam Frazier, who I expected to be maligning for his offense uh, throughout the season. Well, he hit a two-run home, two home run to make the game 3-2 to two on Sunday afternoon in the fifth inning. That added the 16.7% uh, chance for the Orioles winning. The total most clutch player was actually Cedric Mullins, whose game-tying home run in the fifth inning, plus two-run single in the seventh inning to make it a little closer at that time, uh, ended up doing the most. So Mullins gets the credit being most clutch in a loss. He joins Austin Hayes, who was most clutch in the Saturday loss. Uh, the least clutch player for the Sunday game, unfortunately, was starting pitcher Cole Irvin. He had a total contribution of negative 35.1% to the Orioles' chances of victory. Not great. Of course, you can get even worse than that. That ended up being Felix Bautista for giving up the walk-off home run on uh, Saturday night's game. So Bautista was the least clutch there. And that, by the way, that one play, that was like uh, a minus 80% for the Orioles' chances of victory because... Even after the dropped, uh, the dropped pop-up, the Orioles still should have won that game. Most of the time, a team that's down by one run with a man on first base in its, its half of the ninth inning is going to end up losing. But Bautista gave up the walk-off home run to Adam Duvall, so he was the least clutch. And that's our, that's our standing so far. Of course, most clutch in a win was Ramon Urias, and he's the only one because the Orioles only have one win. So... We'll be checking in on that throughout the season, talking about the most recent day's game and updating a little bit on games between episodes. For now, let's just hope that 
we get more uh, additions to the most clutch in a win category. I'll be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, and we are back. So after Sunday afternoon's really unpleasant loss, I asked people on Twitter, uh, you know, now that the Orioles are one and two, are you more worried or are you still feeling confident about the 2023 Orioles? If you are more worried, what are you worried about? And if you are still confident, what is it that makes you confident? So I got a nice set of answers. I'm going to read off a couple of them and just uh, talk about how I feel about those things as well. So I got one from Tom Ehlers, who said the O's seemed so rattled. Outfield play was horrid. He's still confident, but it is diminished. And I absolutely agree with the outfield play. It's just, it's unbelievable. I just, I don't even know what to say about it because of the things that I was prepared to worry about for the 2023 Orioles. It was not routine plays, relatively routine plays, not being made by the outfielders. So it's tough. It's like, this is how you end up with a team that turns into like the 2017 or 2018 Orioles where you got yourself talking yourself into the team's quality before the season and they just end up never quite adding up to what you think they're going to be. And, it, it, you know, if that kind of thing continues for long, I just don't know what the Orioles are going to be able to do about it. So all we can do is hope that A, it stops happening or B, the Orioles find some way to do something about it. I got another response on the worry category from GSW Fan Lee. He said, Hyde is still terrible. Gunner looks overwhelmed. Defense bad and pitching as expected. Well, I myself, I'm not in the Brandon Hyde hater club. I, I just don't, I don't understand people's fascination with disliking him. I think he's been given bad rosters. And uh, I, do, I think that the, the tactical decisions he makes are usually defensible on some level that people just don't really want to see. Although having said that, I don't understand why the Orioles don't like to play Taryn Vavra and Kyle Stowers as much as they were doing towards the end of last year, or even as they have done through this first series this year. Uh, I really, I don't agree necessarily that Gunnar Henderson looks overwhelmed. He has a 429 on base percentage, although that's with the benefit of zero hits. It's all from his walks. So that definitely needs to get fixed, whatever is going on there. It does seem to be kind of a recurring problem since spring training because there were comments from beat writers and in spring training broadcasts about Gunnar Henderson needing to get his timing back correctly. And the Sunday afternoon broadcast in particular commented that Henderson was frequently late on making swings for pitches. So there we go. Uh, I wouldn't say he looks overwhelmed, but the timing thing does need to get figured out. I don't know if it's like he needs to get used to the pitch clock, which I don't know that he would because, of course, Gunnar Henderson would have been used to that from being in the minors for most of last season. So I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with him. Uh, a, a series long over isn't great, but he at least has some plate discipline with not swinging at many balls out of the strike zone. So that's encouraging. People who are still feeling confident, I didn't get quite as many responses along those lines, but I got one. I'm sorry if I say your name wrong from Chaz Packen on Twitter. He noted that 23 runs in three games is impressive, and with consistent help this year, the lineup will definitely score lots of runs due to young talent. And we can certainly hope that the Orioles' offensive performance, uh, Chaz and everyone, is due to, is able to be repeated over the course of the year. 
uh, we did see a number of exciting plays, even from guys who you necessarily wouldn't wouldn't have necessarily thought of as being heavy hitters. So that's good. We'll see if the same weird stuff that kind of was negatively impacting the Orioles outfield also ends up being weird stuff that was positively impacting the Orioles hitters. I don't really know. Um, I would like to believe in everybody in the lineup. Really, the only guy I don't believe in in some capacity is Adam Frazier, and even he had a nice uh, nice series from an offensive standpoint. So my one other good positive comment was from user Ricky the Who, and he said, well, the pitching can't get worse, question mark. Yeah, I guess that's about all we can hope for, uh, that the pitching can't get worse. Of course, we've seen some bad pitching staffs over the, uh, you know, over about the really starting in 2016, where the starting rotation was terrible through to 2021, where the entire pitching staff was terrible. And we know what that looks like. I think you can definitely rationalize that a good bit of it was on the defense, especially the outfield defense at Fenway Park for the Orioles. So what will the pitchers look like? Well, one, we haven't seen Kyle Bradish or Tyler Wells yet, so hopefully they do better. And, you know, uh, hopefully the pitchers we've already seen also do better because there's only going to be so many spots that the Orioles can shuffle through if there's bullpen problems uh, and if there's rotation problems because, of course, you might have said, well, Grayson Rodriguez will be the first guy up. I hope maybe he still will be, but, of course, his first outing for the Norfolk Tides really was carrying over his problems, especially with command from spring training. So I don't know. We certainly don't really want to count on, okay, this was in fact uh, a cynical service time decision that so many fans and commentators acted like it was. Uh, the more tough outings that Rodriguez has at Norfolk, the less likely it looks like that that was really the case. So who's going to replace anybody if you got to demote somebody? Uh, right now, I don't know, and I hope we don't have to find out. So, you know, that's that's the book closed on the season opening series. It it really could have and should have gone better. And all we can do is hope that by season's end, uh, they don't regret that it did not go better. Next up for the Orioles, it's not going to get any easier because their next opponent, they are traveling to the... Uh, the barn or whatever they're calling it over the new stadium down in Texas, uh, in in the Dallas Fort Worth area, they uh, the Rangers they really went crazy on the Phillies in their first two games. They scored 27 runs. So, you know, an Orioles uh, Orioles pitching and defense that just gave up nine or more runs in each of the first uh, first three games. Well, now they're going to another early super powered offense. And of course, the Rangers, well, you know, they didn't really put it all together last year, but they've got some quality players. They've spent some big dollar contracts uh, two off seasons ago. They signed Marcus Simeon and also Corey Seager to big and long contracts. So those are two hitters they're hoping will be anchoring their lineup for a long time. And heading into this year, they are uh, they signed the, the, one of the big free agent marquee pitchers, Jacob deGrom, formerly of the New York Mets. Uh, who they are also hoping will be anchoring their rotation for a while. Now, DeGrom, as it turned out, uh, did not do very well on opening day either. He gave up five runs in a three and two-thirds innings outing. The Rangers still went on to win the game 11-7, to so that was kind of like the Orioles, quote-unquote, ace Kyle Gibson not having a great outing, and the Orioles still won. So the Orioles are going to end up seeing DeGrom on Wednesday. And, uh, well, I hope that he doesn't suddenly start to turn his season fortune around 
now that he starts to face the Orioles lineup. That'll be a Wednesday afternoon game. We'll see. Uh, Monday and Tuesday, it's going to be 8 o'clock start times because, of course, they're one hour behind us in Texas. And we will see Kyle Bradish on Monday, Tyler Wells on Tuesday. And, you know, can somebody go six innings, please? Because I don't want to keep seeing the bullpen for four innings per game, especially if the bullpen is going to be pitching like the bullpen did in this series against the Red Sox. Felix Bautista was shaky in both of the games he was in. I feel like even though the players said, oh, on Saturday, Bautista was cruising. I mean, he wasn't. Let's be honest. He had a lot of pitches that were nowhere close to the strike zone. And if that doesn't get corrected, it's going to be a problem for the Orioles. Brian Baker wasn't very good. Keegan Aiken wasn't very good. You know, everybody gave up runs. And except for Kulam and Gillespie. So it's it's got to get better. Um, there are guys you can call on in the minors if these guys have to get shuffled through, but I, I just don't want to find out. I don't want to count on that being able to happen. So I don't know. We don't want to panic over three games. It's three games out of a 162 game season. But, you know, when, uh, when things that you might've been worried about going into the season are validated in your, you know, that season opening series, or when, um, you get some surprise problems that maybe are going to crop up again and again. It could turn into a problem. So what's going to happen? Well, I don't know. I don't know. We'll be talking about it as the season goes along. And I myself will be back for the next episode on Wednesday morning. So if you would like to have a comment read on this podcast, you can email me, camcastpod at gmail.com. I will try to read at least one every episode. Until then, uh, I will be soliciting for comments on Twitter, on the at Camden Chat Twitter. Uh, and of course, you can also follow the podcast Twitter at Camden Cast. Not very active yet, but I'll be working on that as time goes along. Please subscribe to this podcast. And if you would be so kind as to rate it or even leave a review, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on iHeartRadio, Amazon. I believe it's on Google Podcasts now. Uh, it's on other places. If you have one and you don't see it on there yet, you can search for Camden Cast. Between episodes, if you want to hear more about the Orioles, you can always check out my writing and the writing of my excellent staff at CamdenChat.com. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. I'll see you next time.